0: Hey, thanks for being back this week. If you'll grab your Bibles and open to Joshua chapter number four, got some exciting things I want to share with you today and uh, appreciate our music. And dude, man, what kind of cap is this right here? Hey, man, still got the price tag on the bill, man. You need to pull that price tag thing off. Sharp look at man. I may wear one of those next week. Hey, you'll, you'll buy No, I like the sheen off my head, man. It provides some excitement. Hey, uh, Joshua chapter number four, I don't take any group anywhere without doing a preview. Uh, You gotta understand that, man. I've been around too long to try to take any group somewhere where I don't go there first. Our senior adults are gonna be heading over to a big town called Mineola, Texas. And I'll go over several days or weeks ahead of time, find out where the bus is gonna park, go in and check out the hamburger, be sure that joint's good that we're gonna be eating in. But uh, I think we agree, if you know anything about Mineola, Texas, it doesn't take very long to see everything there is to see in Mineola, Texas. Can I hear an amen? But wherever we go, and and, and about 15 years ago, I was carrying a group to a place called Santa Fe, New Mexico. Anybody ever heard of that? And uh, we were headed up to a historical venue there uh, that was part of the El Camino Real Trail. For you history buffs, 1500, 1600, 1700. Those 300 years is when those of Catholic faith colonized much of the central and western part of the United States. And that happened through a, a, a country that we know called Spain. They came up through Mexico. Camino Real has about five different features to it, but the very middle, middle trail goes through a place called Mexico City up to another place called Chihuahua, Mexico, up to a city I know you've heard of called El Paso, Texas, and it ends in Santa Fe, actually about 14 miles and some change north of Santa Fe. And the whole purpose of this was to start different missions Uh, to help with social ministry throughout the central and western United States, but that wasn't the real purpose. That was kind of a secondary purpose. The real purpose was to find silver and gold. And in the early 1700s, as these troops, these Spanish troops, made their way up through Mexico and out into New Mexico, now New Mexico, uh, they did so with great uh, vigor, and there were battles. There were Indian or Native American battles. There were pirates, robbers. And so, I mean, it was just one skirmish after another. So uh, we have a man in our, uh, had a man in our church at that time that was a real big histo- history guy. And he said, Pastor, can I go with you to preview Rancho del Golagrinas, a big Spanish mission, if you will, fort built in a ranch setting. And he knew I was going to be taking about 60 senior adults up there the next week, and he wanted to go with me. And I said, his name was Frank Gilmer. I said, Frank, yeah, you can go. And so Frank and I head off, leaving from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, speed limit 75 there, everywhere, because there's not too many people that live in, this, in, in the state of New Mexico. So that means you drive 85. So it was, I mean, just in short order, we were there. Got out. Temperature was 98. And uh, I was, I had one purpose in mind, and that purpose was preview the thing, find out where we need to park, be sure to verify the cost, and then I was ready to get in the vehicle and head back. So it only took me about 15 or 20 minutes, and all of a sudden, when I got ready to leave, I said, Frank, and this always works, be reminded of this, this strategy always works, I'll buy you lunch, let's head out. And Frank said, Pastor, not so fast. There's a couple of things I want to show you. Now, I was already hot, man. I really didn't want to see any more of the ranch. Didn't want to see any more of the fort. I was coming back next week. I had plenty of time to see all that. Frank insisted. So we went and saw a couple things, a textile, a little deal where they were making some fabric. And... Uh, I mean, even to this day, it's still a working ranch. You still got those Spanish fortress walls there. And, and so we spend another 20 minutes. And by this time, I'm real hot and my feet are starting to hurt. And so I tell Frank again, hey, let's go to lunch. A little more loving, but a little more forceful. And Frank looked at me. and He said, pastor, pastor, now there's just one more thing I want you to see. So I said, all right, Mr. Frank, come on, let's go see it. I know my now I shouldn't have, but I'm showing a little disgust and a little frustrated by the whole thing. So we go look at one more thing. It's the munitions area where the Spanish kept their guns. Wasn't any big deal, but it was a big deal to him. And so finally I said, hey, let's head them out. I'm buying lunch. And Complete change of attitude. Finally, after 50 minutes, we're out of here kind of attitude in which Frank replied, yeah, let's head to the front gate. But pastor, (laughs) there's one more thing you've got to see. And by this time, I had just given up. I said, Mr. Frank, whatever you want to do, man. If it's by the front gate, let's go. And so we walk and we get within sight distance of the front gate. And there Frank has me take a left. and, And he walks over to a pile of stones that have obviously been with a very primitive kind of concrete put together. It's a, it's a memorial or a, some kind of monument of some, some sense. And next thing I know, Frank is taking off his straw hat and he's kneeling down. And he said, Pastor, come kneel by me. Now, I've got to be completely transparent with you. I was in no mood to kneel. I was in no, no mood for a memorial. I was not in any mood for any of this stuff. But as I got closer to these stones, Frank was already kneeling. He was pointing there at a a little plaque, if you will, some things that had been carved, chiseled into the stone. Most of it was faded away over the course of time. But as you got a little closer, you could see it was a list of a number of names. Most of them completely obscure, and there was Frank, Frank, Straw hat and arm, kneeling there, kind of looking down at the ground, looking at me to be sure I was coming over. And so I, as I knelt there, out of frustration, Frank began to say, Hey, Pastor, this is my third favorite place in all of planet Earth. And my response was, Frank, when we get to the truck, turn on the air conditioning, I would love to hear about your other two places that you love in the United States. But, Mr. Frank, why is this so important to you? And he said, Pastor, just look. Look at these names. They're unreadable. He said, I bet they don't even have a record back in Spain. Some young men went on an adventure here, signed up for military service in Spain, ended up dying over there in that graveyard where they're buried Probably not even in a casket. They probably just put him in the ground. And he's kneeling there. And as he began to just regurgitate all this information, I could see immediately Frank Gilmer was extremely passionate. His patriotism as a New Mexican began to well up. Everything about his language, about his activity, suggested that this was a big deal to him. And in just a moment, you and I are going to read about a fascinating moment. But before we read about it in Joshua 4, we're going to read the first seven verses. And then, I'm, for the sake of time, I'm going to ask that you bump down with me in that fourth chapter, beginning in verse number 19. And we're going to read those last four or five verses at the end of the chapter. As we're looking in just a moment at those verses... I want you to take one thing away from this place today. Now, you may make a number of other notes, but there's really one thing that I want you to walk out of here with, and that is every single one of you need a place in your life that you can go. We're learning something out of Joshua. We're learning very quickly that our lives are full of change and transition. And as we begin to lay out the pages of God's word, we're looking at these passages with clear direction about how do we handle those. Daniel and I were joking about his hat. Hey, big transition in their life here recently. Child number, is it 10? Oh, just three, okay, I got you. Hey, big change. I'm looking back there at one of my favorite buddies, Jackson Steele, big change from being a sixth grader running the projector in the children's division to being in student ministry, big change going to the big high school in ninth grade, being the little fish, frosh walking around the campus, big change when you hit 60, big change when you hit 90, big change on the 50th wedding anniversary. Big change when you become grandmother, granddaddy, Nina, Nana, (laughs) Peepaw, Poo-Poo, well, whatever it is, all right? Our lives are filled with that. Big deal when you you hit chemo number 20 and finish. Take the PET scan and everything's clear. Those are times of transition. You and I, our lives are gonna be filled with them. And what I want you to know is You're going to need a place. In Joshua chapter 4, the children of Israel have been through so much. Most most of it's their own doing. When you tell God no, when you tell God in a rebellious way, we're not going into the promised land, bad things happen. About 900 to 1.1 million people died out there in that desert. God says, okay, you won't go in? No, you won't go in. You're going to be buried right here in the desert. You'll never see Canaan. Finally, God's children, after all that generation has died off, they make their way to Shittim. That's what we read at chapter 2. Shittim, a little small village on one side of the Jordan, but they got to get to the other side. They make their way up to the Jordan, chapter 3. We looked at it. The banks are flooded. It's, it's, it's a nightmare. It's in harvest season. All of that runoff from Mount Hermon. I mean, it's, it's a mess, man. But, but yet God dries it up. They pass over. But when we come to chapter 4, the place, there's going to be a special, really a burial ground. It's going to be a campsite for the first seven years of their existence there. It's about how long it took them to actually do most of the full conquest of Canaan. All these battles, seven plus years and they're gonna keep coming back to the place. The place is called Gilgal. All of the people come over, but I want you to read what God asked the children of Israel to do. Read with me in Joshua chapter number four. I'm gonna begin reading in verse number one. And as I read, I'm gonna be boogieing. I'm gonna be reading quickly. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now you choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe and tell them to take up the 12 stones to the middle of Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and to carry them over and put them down at the, at the place where you stay tonight. Are you, are, you, are you with me? Do you have a visual of it? All the people are coming over, the ark is, is right there in the middle, People are coming on each side of it, crawling up on the correct bank on the Canaan side. They have passed over. And, and, and the Ark of the Covenant is standing there. That, that covenant, they're holding the poles of it. The priests are there. And it's keeping the water dammed up. They're coming over on dry ground. And the instructions, hey, as you pass by, you pick somebody from each tribe, preferably a strong dude that's gonna shoulder the stone. It's gonna be a pretty large stone. And you have each tribe carry one of those stones over. But we're going to do something with them. That's what God is saying. Verse number four, so Joshua called together the 12 men that he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, you go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each, each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, that's 12, we know what that is, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? You tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, uh, uh, before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be memorials to the people of Israel forever. Now jump down for the sake of time to verse 19. Follow along now, stay with me. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants, now some of you have this translation, not your descendants, but your children. When your descendants, your children, ask their parents, that should be a clue that children is a good translation. What do these stones mean? You tell them Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry ground. Look in verse twenty-three. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until he had crossed over, and the Lord your God did uh, did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. Then the final verse. Look in verse twenty-four. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that he had that that uh, that the hand of the Lord is uh, is powerful, and so that you might always fear the Lord. Your God. You and I need a place. Now it may not be a place of stones, but when we walk through difficult days of transition, each and every one of us, we always need a place that we can go back to. A place that we're anchored in, a place of safety, a place of refuge, if you will. Now we all know, don't we, that it's dangerous to live in the past. If you live in the past, man, you're going to be outdated and pass by. But the past is significant. It's significant because it should act as a rudder to guide us in the future. And I just put a little statement there. Unfortunately, it has a little typo in it. See if you can catch it. It has a word missing on your little bulletin or your card. Those that despise the past are placing their own future in jeopardy. For we are but an an extension of that which has gone before us. You do understand that the Bible tells us that we need a place. We need a place that helps us remember. Your Bible is filled with that instruction. How about this one? Jesus said, when you take up the cup and you take the piece of bread as a symbol of my body, do this, what is it in? Remembrance of me. Our Bibles, Old and New Testament, are filled with these moments when God's Word says you better remember that. You better remember that. Remember this, hide this in your heart, you better remember this, it's over and over and over. And let me tell you something, you and I are going to cross many Jordans in our life. We're going to go through some stuff. You young people that are here, man, you just now wading off into the water. You've got a long way to go. And you're going to get to some places where it's going to, it's going to seem, hey, there's no way we, hey, this is it. My dad's going to kill me. I know he's going to kill me. I mean, you young adults, you're just waiting off. You have really no clue to what's out there. And our 80 and 90, even Miss Theda Wistis, our 106-year-old oldest member, tells me all the time, Pastor, you're just a spring chicken at age 58. you barely just about half as old as I am. I love that we showed Miss Theta Wistis' picture at our Legacy Banquet, and uh, the first time we went over to take a picture, she's bedridden now, she wouldn't let us take the picture because her hair wasn't done. She had to get her hair fixed up before we got a picture of her. I love her. But she were asked Miss Theta today, Miss Theta, have you crossed a few Jordans in your century plus life? She'd say, oh my. Even Ms. Theta needs a place. Now, what I want us to do quickly today is I want you and I to jot down three things about why it's important that we have a place. And we're going to use, straight from the text, what God's Word teaches us about this monument of stones. Twelve stones, they're going to build up this monument, they're going to put them together in monument form, so that for generations, as they come back to Gilgal, which they will over and over and over, People are going to be, what, tempted to ask, hey, dad, hey, mom, hey, people, hey, Hey, nana, what, what's, what are those stones over there? Is somebody buried there? What's the deal with those stones? It's a sacred place, just as you and I need a sacred place. Because, listen to me, because of human nature, you and I have the tendency to forget. Now, remember that. As human beings, it's just our nature we tend to forget. Jot them down, three things. I just mentioned them and we move on to lunch. Here we go, number one, I want you to write down this. This monument represents that our faith is based on historical fact. Our faith is based on historical fact. Just when it said, hey, take up the stones, the monument, hey, that's a physical, historical thing that can be touched and it's a part of history. It becomes an artifact, if you will. We gotta understand something. Our faith is not theory. Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is not speculation and it's not philosophy. In fact, look how it's spelled out for us beginning in verse 21. Go, go back to 21 in your Bible. He said to the realities in the future when your descendants, when your children ask their parents, what do these stones mean? You tell them Israel crossed over here. These stones are here because at one time Two million people crossed over in flood time, in harvest season, with the banks overrunning. Well, how did they make it, Dad? How did they make it, Papa? They made it because the ark dried up, it dammed the water up, and people were able to come over. It happened right here, right here. That's what those stones are doing. They're marking the place. Do you realize that your Christian faith is not some kind of speculation? In fact, the whole Christian relationship is really, out of the Bible, a set of historical happenings. And God created, he did. He created all things. And Jesus came, and he did. God sent his own son. There were witnesses, there's archeology span that show us that it was a historical account The walls of Jericho, we'll we'll study here in the next week or two, came tumbling down. Hey, Hey, historical event. We do understand that this monument represents a very specific place that takes us back into history. That's why you need a place somewhere. Now, I'm not talking about build you something, had stones, but you need a sacred place that you can go to of safety and refuge over and over and over when you can recoil, when you can sense that God's presence has been with you and it's there with you once again. And again, the Christian faith is a record of all the things that God has done, literally. Now, Satan will do all he can to try to fool us with that. I was sharing with our first group of worshipers, had a great service. As I'm preaching, left side of the sanctuary as I'm looking out, pew five is the pew that I came out of. Now, at that time, it wasn't tilted as it is now. It was straight. But that, but that pew is the pew I came out of there at age seven and gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ in 1970 when the carpet was red in the sanctuary at Oakland Heights Baptist Church. Now, a lot of stuff's happened to me, man. And there's been a lot of things, man, I've messed up, bombed, I mean, there's a lot of things I wish I could change, but let me tell you one thing I've never doubted. I've never doubted what the Lord Jesus did in my heart at age seven. Not one time in my whole life. Now, Satan's tried to. Satan has reminded me at age seven, you were crying, dude. You were embarrassed. And that's all that was at, in that revival service when Michael Cook came forward and said, I want to be baptized. I'm following the Lord Jesus. I'm asking him in my life. By faith, I'm turning from my sin into Jesus for life ahead. When I said that, I said that out of emotion. And really, it didn't have much meaning. And Satan, for years, has tried to whisper that into my ear. He's tried to remind me of that. He's tried to deceive me that God really didn't transform me. And many times I've just had to put my hand on my hip and say, hey, Satan, you do realize I'm a pastor, don't you? That doesn't mean that you can't create doubt in pastors, but you do realize that God has done something with my life. He substantiated that. And you know what? I can always go back to that moment in history in 1970 and I know that something dramatically happened inside of me. It was not an imagination, it wasn't some emotional experience, and since then there's been so many times that I've gone back and said, you know what, at this moment God did answer my prayer. That wasn't some coincidence right there, God did that. At other times in my life, I've been able to look and say, you know, God really did solve that problem. I'm standing there facing my own Jordan. Remember, I said, we're all going to go through lots of Jordans. You and I are going to go through a bunch of them. And when you and I are standing there, Four rejection letters for college for you that are juniors and seniors. It's like, hey, every school I try to get into, I can't get into. A&M's full. Texas is full. Hey, I I, I don't want to go to this school. Hey, hey, man, let me tell you something. You're going to face Jordans all the way through life. And time and time again, knowing that God has solved those problems, only God could do that. Gives you historical credence that your faith is based on something much more than some emotion or theory or philosophy. Now, jot down, I'll put this on your outline, two things I want to talk about here just quickly. I'm just going to touch on them about this historical element. Let me tell you something a place, these stones, this monument for them in our place, let me tell you what it does. It helps cure us from our forgetfulness. And I will convince you of this today. You and I, remember, we came out of the shoot with this statement. We are forgetful as human beings. The Bible says, when the children ask. Now, I know we've got a lot of our youth in this service. But look, we love our children, our babies, so much. Have you ever thought about all that we do to kind of communicate to our children that you're the most special person in the whole world, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can bring about disastrous results if we're not careful. Have you ever noticed, like, Jenny's got a little baby back there, and, and, if, and I have my own name for her, but if we were to get her out of the little papoose today, have you ever noticed how adults talk to babies? They don't talk like you and I are talking. They start cooing and making all kinds of sound. And have you ever looked in an adult's face when they're looking in the baby's face? It's kind of like, They're doing all kinds of weird stuff. Can you imagine what that child must be thinking when we're going, Think about that for a moment. The baby's born that way, thinking what? Hey, I'm special. 3 a.m. when they're hungry, everybody in the house knows, amen? Everybody knows the baby's hungry. And then all the way through, children, youth, all, all of a sudden, a young person gets to the point where they begin to think nothing significant—I mean, significant ever happened before they came along. I mean, that's just kind of part of their upbringing. Hey, I'm special. These old foggy things, those old stones, that's not that big a deal. That didn't have anything to do with me. And so therefore, it's not that big a deal. And, 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 and sometimes they adopt a philosophy that newer is always better, our progress always moves in a forward straight line, forward. And nothing could be further than the truth. If we're not careful, we'll find ourselves forgetting. That's why I put on your outline today this significant statement. What is sacred to fathers is often silly to children. Let me illustrate for you. I went out to the old alma mater the other day to watch about a half hour of practice. How about them pine tree pirates? So I'm just standing over at the fence, reminiscing. Same basic practice field, a lot of things have changed. Field house three times as large. I spoke to Pine Tree's football team last year in the devotional before their second round playoff game, and I just couldn't believe all the new facilities. Had, had been over there in years. Anyway, I'm standing out there watching practice and, and, and the players take a break. Now you gotta understand, during break time, we live in, in a time when, when hydration's important. My father, born in the 1940s, grew up in a time when he played high school football. They gave him one empty Coke bottle. The player was responsible for filling that Coke bottle not of cold water, but just of water, tepid water, and that was their whole hydration for a two-hour practice in the Oklahoma sunshine in the summer. So they would have breaks. So the first break, players would go over there, they'd drink half the Coke bottle, that's all they got. Oh, and pop a salt tablet. Well, when I came through and played in in, in the late 70s, hey, we completely revolutionized hydration. They put this fancy PVC pipe on the fence with 60 holes in it, and we were herded over like cattle, and we put our mouths on this white pipe, washed our face. Now, you're talking about a COVID nightmare. I mean, I I mean, now, I'm standing out there, and I'm watching this. I'm going, man, I can't believe this, dude. When it came break time, each player had their little individual bottle. Oh, it wasn't water. They had the Pirate logo on it, had their name on it. A little female uh, young lady in high school had run over and pranced over there, and players are kneeling down. They got their chest out like, man, we're, 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 man, we're 15, man, we're, we're, we're bad, man. We're ready to play for the Cowboys, man. One of them takes his ball, got his name on it, got the Pirate monitor, took a drink, says, I don't like Cherry Gellerie. I'm thinking, Dude, you got your own individual bottle chilled down, mixed for you, brought to the line, served to you. You take a big splash of it, spit it out and say, I don't like cherry. Let me tell you something. There's a young man that doesn't understand about his past. Are you with me? There's a young man, if he better understood, hey, why don't you take this Coke bottle out here for two hours? You got these 12, 14 ounces of water, and that's all you're going to get. Now, if the ants get over in it during practice, that's, I mean, dude, that's your problem. You got to figure out how to blow them out and not lose any water. Are you with me? We forget. We forget. We forget. I watched Becky and I watch, you watch any of the Olympics? Becky and I watch some of the Olympics. I'm glad I didn't see the part where our women's soccer team during the national anthem decided they just plopped down on their bo- bohines, on their knees. There's some young ladies right there that weren't in the planes flying to Germany in 1943. There, there's some young ladies right there that never were on the battlefield in 1916 when a couple of European powers said, hey, we're going to come to America, we're going to take over the whole world. See, people have forgotten the sacrifice that it cost to win our freedom. Why does that happen? Because you and I forget. But when you have a place, when you have a monument, like the Israelites did, they always came back, people will always ask, Hey, what's that here for? Because the same God that you and I are following, young man, young lady, I want you to think back 20 years ago, there were millions of people coming over these banks, and we put it there so that we would never forget. You see, it not only cures us from our, our forgetfulness, jot this down, but it also corrects our faults a place, a monument, these stones, it always corrects our faults. Let me, now, I gotta be honest with you, I need you to really tune in right here. I think I'm gonna do a pretty good job explaining this, but if you're not tuned in, you will not get this. So I'm asking you, tune in, laser. Okay, you, you with me? There's something about this monument that God creates here by the shoulder of these leaders of these 12 tribes, and He does it nothing more than, than to say, "Hey, I want you to remember the past status and this event." I want it, but I want it to become the standardized way for you to measure what I'm doing in the immediate, now in your life. I want you to have some measuring stick to be able to go back. It's as if he's saying, "Hey, in future life, this will be the standard for you to come back. It'll it'll prompt you to remember how I was working, how close you were to me, and most importantly, how dependent you were on me at that moment. You couldn't have come across in flood stage without me. You wouldn't even made it across the desert without me. You wouldn't even escape the Egyptians." They would have wiped us out way back there. And at that moment, you were just waiting on me. And I want you to remember and reconnect with that standard, that status, that event. Because we know the goal in the Christian life is to always make progress. But you have to keep coming back to Gilgal. You have to keep coming back over and over. Let let, let, me tell you something really, really important. You and I need to be able to measure the wins in our lives. In 2017, 13 people called Strategic Planning Committee came together at Oakland Heights and said, hey, in the next 15 years, we want to come back and we want to have 1,200 worshipers on the weekend here back on our campus. You want to know how that group arrived at 1,200? Did they just pick that number? I mean, we just got maybe three, 400 people. How did those people arrive at 1,200? Because the largest number that Oakland Heights has ever had weekend worship was 1,180. And so that group was able to go back to the greatest time ever in 1982 and 1983 at Oakland Heights Baptist Church where there were more people worshiping than has ever happened in 67 years of our existence. And that strategic planning group said, hey, we want to go back to that standard and go just a few people beyond. And without that, they would have never had anything to measure the basics. I'm in this book project. I'm writing a book on Joshua. I've got to have everything finished February 1st. Got to get it on for proofing, publishing, and all that kind of stuff. So, man, my holidays are going to be, like, crazy driven with typing. (laughs) But, you know, one of the things that writers often do is they go back and they read the best. And the best, really, the standard in writing is a guy by the name of William Shakespeare. And so the greatest of the writers go back and they read Shakespeare because that has been the standard for over 420 years. Let me tell you something. It is a standard. How many plays do you think written over the last 20 years are going to be here 400 years still being on, on, on the New York show list? Josh Thomas, his office is filled right now with something called Christmas cantatas, Christmas music. Now, let me tell you something. There may be some good ones, and I don't know what he's going to pick to do at Christmas, and that's his business. But let me tell you this. Whatever he picks, will, nothing will ever be better than Handel's Messiah. It's the standard. And so that monument, those stones, were all about history. Now jot these last two things down, and I promise our time is just about gone. I'll just mention these. Not only is our faith anchored in this historical fact, but God is faithful. These stones represented and the place that you and I are gonna have in our life where we can go back and reconnect with God during these times of Jordan crossings. Th- that, that monument represents that God is faithful. Those stones speak of God's faithfulness. Go back to verse number 23 and look at it again. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you, uh, before you until you had crossed over. Now listen to this. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had. Do you see it? What he had what? Done at the Red Sea. This wasn't the first time that God did this miracle. I mean, when there were hundreds and thousands of Egyptian troops and chariots behind them about to catch them, and there was that daunting water passage that they couldn't navigate, they were about to get slaughtered, people were in panic mode, God parted the sea. And now, 40 plus years later, Hey, what do you think God's going to do on a little Jordan River at flood stage? You priests just walk the covenant out there and see what happens. And God once again did something miraculous. Let me tell you something. Our God is faithful. And what's so amazing about his faithfulness is that he's faithful even when we're not. Kadesh Barnea, out there in the desert when God had sent those original 12 spies in. Remember, 10 of them came back and said, no way, we won't, we shall not, we can't. We we will not lead our people into where there's giants and iron and big fortified cities. We can't do it. Man, if there was ever a time God just said, hey, you know what? You all too many of you die, I'll just find me some different folks. God didn't do that. Maybe I'm speaking today to some students that are here that immorally have taken some, some roads they shouldn't have. Maybe I'm dealing with some young adults that are in a place spiritually that you say, hey, pastor, I'm not in a good place right now. Maybe, maybe I'm speaking to someone's heart today that says, you know what, man, my heart is also rebellious. But what I want you to know is your faithfulness does not alter our God's faithfulness. Our God will always be faithful. He keeps delivery. Number three, not only is that historical element important and God is faithful, but once you write this final thing down, we all need a place because the place, those stones in their life represented hope and a future. There's a hope for the future. So why do we preserve the past? What's so big about 12 stones people hoisted up on their shoulder, put together? Why was it such a big deal? It's important because the past gives us an indication of what God is going to do in the future. That gives us the best forecast. Why why is it so important for employers to be able to go back and chart where you went to school, your references, prior experience. And one of the big indicators of whether or not people get hired is how long were you there? And why did you leave? Did you leave well? Did you leave under good circumstances? Because we've learned that what? Your past is the best indicator of what you're going to do in the future. That's the best forecast we have to get the best employees. Hey, if you've worked well in these other places, you've got longevity. Hey, you've got great references and you have great interviews. Pretty good indication that that's what we're going to get is if you're going to be an employee at Oakland Heights Baptist Church here in Lawnview, Texas. I wrote down one of the oldest lyrics that John Newton ever wrote. Listen to it. They'll project it. Third stanza of the song, I Will Trust and Not Be Afraid. Listen to these lyrics. Newton wrote, his love in times past, speaking of our God, forbids me to think that he'll leave me at last. In trouble to sink, each sweet Ebenezer I have in review confirms his good pleasure to help me quite through. I love that first statement or two. Did you see it? His love in time past forbids me to think that he'll leave me at last. You know, verse 24, those stones, that place in your life, all of us are going to need a place. The place, the Lord says this in verse 24, he did this, those stones, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. I was sharing with the early group of worshipers today in the book project that I'm doing I'm going to spend I don't know how many pages around this theme I'll spare you that today but God just gripped my heart part of this God says God makes an assertion here that hey let me tell you what will happen. And God doesn't assume anything. God asserts things. God says, let me tell you what's going to happen. When you build that monument, there's going to be years and years and years of questions. Those stones are going to arouse curiosity. Curiosity. There's going to be a number, especially of young people that are going to ask somebody, hey, what's that? What's that there for? What what's the meaning of that? Who built that and why did they build it? And and God says, as it's sitting there, that's very significant. And it was like God just spoke into my heart. Michael Cook? How long has it been since any child, student, has come to you and in any form or fashion said or asked, Pastor Cook, why are you so different? Why do you do what you do? And other than some RAs that wrote me some cards when I came here, my heart was broken. I think that's why Peter made such a big deal when Peter was writing. Peter said, you know, I want you always to be able to give an answer to those who ask about the hope in you. Peter indicated as well, people should be coming to us and asking us, what's so big about putting money in the offering box? What's so big about serving at Legacy Banquet and serving plates? What's so big about sharing your faith? What's so big about revival? What's so big about personal devotional life? What's so big about uh, a morally pure life? What's so big about that? And why is your life charted like that? Can you explain that to me? And my heart was broken. Because no one recently has asked me that. And I can't and I wouldn't try to speak for you. But I wonder if I just started over here at Longview High School on the basketball team. And I started here with student number one. And I said, Young man, how long has it been since one of your teammates came to you and asked you this question? Dude, you're different what makes you different? And in that moment, the opportunity to say, you know, that's interesting you asked me that. It's interesting you asked me about the stones. I'm different because there's something different that lives in me. I'm different morally because I, I live by a different set of codes of one that died for me. I didn't go out and hang out in the car last Sunday night. I was serving plates to old people. I even had to go buy a pair of black pants, man. Dude, why'd you do that? Because I have a higher calling. And I would just offer up and ask you on this Lord's Day, how long has it been since a patient, a neighbor, a co-worker, a child, a young person, has come up to you and asked, hey, what's that all about in your life? Maybe you might be in the very same place I am today, disappointed. Because no one has asked me recently to give an answer for the hope that lives in me." You need a place. That place will help you not forget. That place will bring you to a place of thanksgiving because there's many, many Jordans out there for us. You need a place. Would you pray with me today? Lord, I just want to thank you for these moments that we've had in your word. As we just track along with these Israelites, this population of people that in many cases are struggling. They're trying to put their lives back together and they need a place. And Gilgal is going to be that place of refuge for them. It's going to be that first stop in the promised land, that first sacred place. And Father, today, I just wonder... Is there someone here that can hear my voice? Maybe one of these that are hanging out with us in their home, on a computer, on a television screen. Maybe someone here in this worship service right here at the center that uh, is in that very place today. The place that uh, they've got one foot in the old side of the Jordan and they've got one foot down in the riverbed and they're about to cross over and they're just trying to put all these things together. Maybe at school they're living the old way, the worldly way, the carnal way, and at church they've got that other foot just kind of feeling around to see if there's really any water that's gonna that's gonna hinder them, the the spiritual walk and. And and maybe today they're standing one foot in one place, one foot in another. And Father, I'm reminded of the incredible words of our Lord Jesus that said, hey, you that have one foot in, one foot out, you lukewarm folks, I'm going to spit you out. I'm going to spew you. It's the Greek language. I'm just going to spew you out of me. So Father, today I just pray for those that may not have a relationship with you that by faith need to come and put both feet in and say, I need a savior. Man, the, the Jordans of my life, the stuff I have to deal with in my home, my marriage, the stuff I'm putting up with at work. Man, Pastor, I'm just so exhausted. I'm, I'm, I'm just so, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm finished with the mass stuff, the death stuff, the, 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 the I mean, the, the whole dreary outlook of life. They tell us the world's gonna burn up here in about 20 years or so and it's just gonna be a combustible flame and is that all I have to look forward to? Father, I just wonder today if someone is really seeking a place, a place inside the loving arms of Jesus, one that will love us unconditionally, one that will always be faithful even when we're not. And It's out of that forgiveness and that mercy It's out of his intense love for us. It draws us to him. So Father, for the one that's seeking you, would you help them make their way today to a place of refuge? Just the first step in coming to know you. Maybe even after the service today, seeking out one of our pastors and say, hey, hey, I need you to help me more. I, I yearn for, I need a place, but I need a place with Jesus. Maybe there are others that are looking for a church home, just trying to search where God would have them. And maybe in their heart, it's not so much what the church can offer them, but hey, can I offer something to this New Testament body that I sense may be desperately needed? Father, maybe someone's struggling in a marriage today. Maybe someone's heart has been broken by a recent loss. Father, we just need a place today So would you give us that place, that place of refuge and safety? Father, we love you, we worship you. And these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you look this way? After the service today, I'm just going to be hanging out right down here around this basketball goal. And as we kind of break up and disperse, if God has laid on your heart something you need to talk to about or talk to me about, I'm just going to hang out, I just sense I need to do that for sure today, and uh, I, I'm just going to be down there, and maybe God just says, hey, I know that's God speaking through you, because I want to speak to you today, and I just want you to know I'll be down here if you need anything, and can I also just say this, I speak to hundreds of groups every year, <laughs> I was in Brookshire and Hallsville last night, young guy at the register says, hey, sir, I mean, he's probably a junior in high school, you with me, Saturday night, stalker, probably they swung over there on the register. He looked at me and he said, hey, 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 sir, have you had a good day? I said, man, I've had a great day. He said, well, what's made this day so great? I said, man, can you imagine? God has given me the means to walk into a store with thousands of items on the shelf and I can pick out, I can afford anything on any one of these shelves I want. Is that not a great day? And he looked at me like, dude, nobody's ever answered like that. He says, I think you're a motivational speaker. And I said, no, a Baptist minister. And he said, that's even worse. <laughs> but I just sense today that maybe I just need to be down here. But aren't you thankful that God brought you this place today? Aren't you thankful for these musicians? Aren't you thankful that he's given you a padded chair, a Bible recorded for you? Just like that young man that took that water bottle and said, I don't like cherry. But we need to be thankful as we sing and conclude the service today. Never forget, somebody's paid a price. Somebody paid for all this. Somebody sacrificed so that you could be in this place today. Be thankful. Come on, get to your feet and let's sing and worship.